Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tea with Coco, the European American. I'm Coco like Chanel. And today I wanted to talk about a fantastically wonderful book written by Dionne von Fustenberg, DVF herself, The Woman I Wanted to Be. She goes into exquisite detail about her life growing up, her struggles with entering the fashion industry, life as a princess, falling from grace, and of course, the construction and introduction of the dress that changed it all, the wrap dress. I hope you all enjoy. travel a lot for work. And because of that, I've become very fond of listening to audiobooks and podcasts. And one of the things I find the most endearing about audiobooks is when the author themselves read it. You feel a sense of their history, of their inflection and emotion behind their books as they recall their story. It really does feel like you're sitting there having a conversation with them about their life. And so when I came across Dion von Fustenberg's audiobook, The Woman I Wanted to Be, and saw that it was narrated by the author herself, I thought it would be a fantastic way to spend 13 plus hours on the road. And with a six hour drive ahead and six hour drive back that week, I thought it would be absolutely perfect. And it was. Diane von Fustenberg's title itself, The Woman I Wanted to Be, really does capture her spirit in the book. This is a woman that is striving continually, a woman that doesn't have all of the answers, and she shows confidence at times and vulnerability at times, and it seems odd knowing how the story has ended with her being a household name and the wrap dresses being something that graces the halls of our Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. This is a woman that really did take on the world single-handedly and, as I learned, as a single mother, but still had a lot of the same doubts and fears. So whether you're the head of a fashion house a princess or a single mom, a lot of these truths are universal. A lot of these self-doubts and concerns and family issues are something that we all have intricately within ourselves, especially as women. And I think women have a tendency to always want more, to look on social media and see the moms that are portraying this image of themselves or to see the women that are portraying this perfect image of themselves, the perfect body, the perfect hair, the perfect makeup application, the perfect dinner. And that idea of wanting to be that woman is something that we really have in all of us. And so I found the title itself very intriguing. She starts off the book with a recollection of her mother's life. I think all of us as women have a connection with our mother and those that came before us. We've all taken some despite what the relationship might be if it's strained or very close. And it usually is one of those two, right? You're usually not just okay with your mom. You're either very close or have a strained relationship. 
I'm lucky enough to have a, a wonderful mother that I look up to in so many ways. But Dion had a very interesting relationship with her mother. She was actually much closer with her father at a young age, and that's because her mom was very hard on her. But something that colored that entire relationship was her mother's internment in a concentration camp in World War II. It was an absolutely fascinating tale that seemed like it was the script to a movie in and of itself. Her mom was smuggling messages back and forth for the resistance, the Jewish resistance, and was caught and pretended to be Jewish so that she didn't get tortured and give up information and actually went to a concentration camp for 13 months, almost died from malnutrition and was able to recover. But the, the post-traumatic stress of living through something like that is something that her mother carried with her and colored all of her relationships and including that of the one with her daughter, Dion. It was very interesting to hear the stories that Dion took from her mother, especially the ones that were impacted by her time in the concentration camp. And her mother recounts a tale of when she was being packed like livestock in these train carts and being shipped to the concentration camp that she made friends with an older woman. And when they were separating the people to go into the concentration camp, this doctor said to the old woman to go into this line and her mother tried to follow. And this German soldier very harshly came up and ripped Dion from the friend that she had made on the train and threw her into the other line. And it turned out that everybody that was in the original line she was in with the older woman friend she had made was sent to the gas chambers and immediately killed. And so that German soldier in his meanness was actually saving her life. And it's an interesting story within the book because when Dion recounts it for us, her mother and now herself are using it as a reminder that something can seem extremely horrible at the time, but you don't necessarily know the impact that it's going to have on your life and if it's going to be a beneficial impact, uh, something that would change your life for the better. So when you're very down, looking at those moments as possibilities of setting you on the right path or on a better path. And it's extremely melancholy to try to compare anything that we're dealing with right now in our life to a concentration camp. But it struck me very deeply uh, to have that juxtaposition in my head of problems. Problems are problems. And although hopefully we will never see anything like the atrocities that happened in World War II, it is something that we can look back and reflect on and, and actually use as a, a point of, of solace for our, our lives moving forward. She goes on to recount a lot of other enduring tales about her mother and 
about the relationship that was eventually forged between them and how that grew over time. And I think that it's interesting to note when your mother and the daughter have a disconnect, Dion talks a lot about how she never felt beautiful. She never felt feminine. She never felt like a woman always a daddy's girl, didn't understand her attributes, hated her curly hair, hated her darker skin. She wanted the blonde hair and blue-eyed Aryan complexion that was very common in Belgium where she grew up and her parents both being immigrants. Obviously, she looked quite different. And learning much later in life to use those differences as a point of beauty is something that I think my mother taught me very young. I have a very dark skin from my grandmother and high cheekbones and a very strong aristocratic Austrian nose. And these were always things that I really hated. My curly, unruly hair, my dark skin, my big hips, all of the things that you think uh, are not the standard of beauty. And mothers have such a wonderful way of helping you see past that um, because a lot of times, you know, they have those attributes themselves. And that's a relationship that didn't develop with Dion and her mom until later in the book. And as she moves through the story to where her life with Edgar, who was the Austro-Hungarian royalty that she married quite young and then had children with again quite young, you see how that relationship actually helped her establish that thought of beauty. And it's, it's a very exciting few chapters where you get to hear about her becoming a princess and finding out she was pregnant and planning a wedding and moving to New York and Studio 54 and this glitz and glamour of the 1970s. And, and then you see it all fall apart with some of the other unglamorous parts of those decades, which is philandering and drugs and abuse and what eventually ended her marriage. So this picture that people were seeing in the New York Post and the magazines around the world, which she references in the book, was kind of the image of perfection that's being projected on social media I was referencing earlier. That was happening in the 70s just through print media and everything under and behind the scenes wasn't so beautiful and eventually ended her marriage. But it really was that ending that was the new beginning for what would become the fashion house Diane von Fistenberg. It's incredible to hear her recount the story of how the iconic wrap dress started, which was in a small fabric factory that she was working with in Tuscany. And she wasn't a drawer, she wasn't a seamstress. A lot like Coco Chanel, she was very interested in creating through the process. She wanted like again, Coco Chanel, a lot of mirroring here, something that women could move in, something that was beautiful, sexy, but elegant and effortless. One of my favorite lines that she talks about when she was 
creating the wrap dress and the subsequent sub wrap dresses that she has created throughout the years is if it can't fit in a suitcase, if it can't not be wrinkled and come out looking ready to wear, if it's not comfortable, if it's not elegant, if it can't fit everyone's body, then it's not DVF. And that really is the mentality she went into the creation of the wrap dress with. And she talks and recounts about the hours that they spent folding and refolding and draping and covering and using different types of fabrics to create what would become this Smithsonian icon-worthy wrap dress. And you can see it in the creation. You can see it with how this piece of fashion has endured throughout the entirety of DVF's life. Like the little black dress that Coco Chanel is responsible for, the Diane von Fustenberg wrap dress is infamous. It's something that every woman wants in her closet and has in some form. And I love the fact that she took great care and thought about who and how this was going to be used. And that was that was her onset. And once they got the design down, she really was a hustler in every sense of the word. She brought these dresses pregnant in a suitcase back to the U.S. and was going to different fashion houses who knew her as this party girl princess. But she didn't take any of the money from Edgar von Fustenberg. So she was really starting from scratch like anyone except for the name and her wits. And she went across the country to different trade shows trying to get fashion houses and trying to get buyers interested in her clothes. She even talks about pawning some of the jewels that her former husband had given her to help launch her brand. And it was a very human moment because you can see how this creation was going to mean a lot to her and, and eventually mean a lot to us. In the subsequent chapters, it was very interesting to hear her talk about being a mother. And I am not a mother myself except to my dog, Belle, but to human children, that is. But I know from speaking with my friends and my own mother, who is that there is constantly guilt that you're not doing enough, you didn't see enough, you weren't listening enough, you weren't there enough, you missed too many things. And the simple fact is that it's an unobtainable goal that most women set for themselves. And she really embodies that because here is a single mom that is launching what will become a global brand. And she makes a lot of mistakes, which are interesting as a business person myself to, to look at. She made makeup lines and licensed out her name to different vendors who she didn't know the quality of and got into bad deals and franchise agreements that didn't work out. And the business part is extraordinarily interesting to look at for anyone who owns their own business or is thinking about it or is just interested in that uh, as a hobby. And so it's it's very interesting retrospectively for her to think back because when you're trying to make it to your son's football game and help your daughter with her homework and run your own fashion company 
some of those mistakes are bound to happen, especially when you don't have industry experts sitting in your boardroom like she does now to help her. But it was a very human moment for a woman that does seem to have reached goddess-like stature, queen-like stature, at least in my mind for the work that she's done. The other part of the book that really struck a chord with me was her humanitarian efforts. Uh, Many years ago, while I was working in D.C., I visited a wonderful organization called Vital Voices. Little did I know that Diane von Fustenberg would eventually become an ambassador for that brand, but it is a wonderful organization that helps women create their own micro-businesses and become entrepreneurs and teaching women teach society is the basic ideology. And she works with fantastic uh, women's empowerment groups throughout the world. And this is something that you can hear in her voice, her inflection change, which is one of the reasons, again, I think it's so powerful to hear the author read her own story, is because like when she speaks about her children, when she speaks about these organizations and these efforts, you can hear it in her voice how much they do matter to her and how much they matter to all of us. It's something that I've struggled with myself a great deal. My absolutely amazing sister went the humanitarian path, and she actually works in a Lesotho in a small country in South Africa, uh, trying to stop the spread of infectious disease, doing educational programs and initiatives, and really being that beacon of humanitarian aid and effort that I definitely have. And that's after she spent years in the Peace Corps in in Cameroon, where I did join her for a bit. And I'll always be very grateful for that experience. And she's doing all of this while being a fantastic mother. So I, I battled this idea of humanitarian route versus the corporate route that I have taken working for a Fortune 50 company. And the fact that Diane was able to find this balance through her sustainability efforts, her humanitarian efforts, her philanthropy, and have it be a forefront for her and for her company was so inspiring to me. I I immediately went on to the internet um, after finishing her book and looked at different jobs that she had in her company because I I just felt the zeal. I felt the excitement to work for someone that was not only passionate about what they do, but was passionate about many things uh, throughout the world and was able to find a way to balance their love for fashion and the international business world and the luxury world with her humanitarian efforts. When I was in Cameroon with my sister uh, in the Peace Corps, I remember seeing a a girl selling legitimately peanuts, that's not a euphemism, on the side of the road to try to get $100 a year, would translate $100 a year, to go to university. And I remember thinking what I had spent my last $100 on and feeling shame. Uh, especially feeling shame that I not only spent it on 
clothes or a bag or a dress or whatever it was, but that I wanted those things and I wanted those luxury items and that those labels and those brands mattered to me. And I felt a certain amount of shame for that. And reading her book really helped lift some of that for me because Dion was able to find a way to celebrate pieces of quality and the effort and design that go behind luxury items while at the same time respecting and being a part of a philanthropic world. And if I cannot sound too cheesy by saying that, I think that's the woman I want to be. Someone who can find balance in that. Also, upon finishing the book, I wanted to buy my very own wrap dress. And I have to give a shout out to anyone who has been able to resist this fantastic consignment shop called The Real Real. But it is a beautiful representation of environmental consciousness because it is consigned items so it's reused fashion but you get the luxury brands that you want authenticated and I bought my first Dian von Fustenberg leopard print wrap dress for a great deal I put a picture of it up on my Instagram account Coco like Chanel if you guys want to take a look and I'm very proud to tell you that the wrap dress is something I will have in my closet for the rest of my life. And it was absolutely a great purchase. And I can tell you from slipping into it for the first time, from how it was cut to the strategically placed button to help us small-breasted ladies not fall out of our dresses, to the way it draped, it was made for women, by a woman, and you can tell. So... Thank you, Dion, for not only sharing your story and an amazing dress with the world, but for helping us all realize the women have very universal struggles and we're all trying to be the best versions of ourselves. But I think you've done a pretty damn good job. I also wanted to apologize to listeners because I learned her name as Diane von Fustenberg, but from listening to her audiobook, learned it was Dion von Fustenberg, which makes sense because she's from Belgium. But I keep trying to switch it over, but it is in my head as Diane von Fustenberg. I'm going to make the change, but I'm pretty sure I intertwined those names at some point throughout this podcast so Dion I'm sorry for mispronouncing it all of these years and listeners sorry for the multiple mistakes I made pronouncing it throughout this podcast I hope you can forgive me Dion and listeners and that we all learned a little bit about the women we want to be You guys all know I like to end the episode with a little land yap, and this seemed like a very fitting time to talk about the power of the written word. Not just with books, but actually physically putting hand to pen and pen to paper. 
One of the stories that Diane von Fustenberg recounts of her mother in the book was when she, her mom was captured on the way to the concentration camp and she wrote a note to her parents on a scrap of paper and on the back of the note wrote her parents' address and asked anyone who found it to get it to her parents so they'd know she was alive. And she threw it out of the train window. Well, someone must have found it because many years later, when Dionne von Fustenberg's mother passed away and she was cleaning out her house, she found the original copy of the note that her mother had written and, and flung out the window. Someone had found it and delivered it to her mother and father, who had kept it, and she in turn had kept it. I think in today's world of constant communication via text, via phone, via social media, we forget the power of that enduring paper and pen. I know every time I get a handwritten note or letter, it is an immediately deeper reaction than anything else. And a lot of times it's hard to say something via phone and I don't want to share it with the rest of the world on social media. And writing a letter to someone in your handwriting is very meaningful. I think of the recipe cards that are in my great-grandmother's handwriting that my mother has passed down to me and the ones that are in my mom's handwriting and they mean so much to me and I think will continually just grow in their meaningfulness. So I encourage you guys to all take a moment, put pen to paper and write someone a letter, maybe even to yourself for 10 years from now, but put pen to paper, really embrace the power of the written word and see what comes back to you. Maybe someone you won't even know will exhibit extraordinary kindness and your message will find its way to whoever it's meant for. Thank you so much for tuning in to Tea with Coco, the European American with Coco like Chanel. Until next time, Everyone, laissez le bon temps rouler and have a great day.